The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey guys, thanks for coming out. This is super cool. Um, th- this is the first time we've really done this, so uh, this is kind of a, you guys are guinea pigs. Um, but just a little bit of backstory. First of all, <clears throat> love the book of Jeremiah. I uh, just recently, I think over Christmas break, I just kind of got into the season where I was just kind of devouring big chunks of scripture, um, and for whatever reason, I just had this this kind of um, hunger to just sit down and read, um, and so I wanted to read a big chunk of scripture that I wasn't super familiar with, and so I, I picked Jeremiah over the um, Christmas break, and I just read the whole book in like two days, and, and don't be impressed because I've never really, I don't usually read that much, um, <laughs> ever, <laughs> but just for whatever reason, I was just, man, this is so good, I just want to read more and more and more, and I was so just blown away by this book, um, and, and how much is here, and really the story uh, this this little section of time um, that Israel lived in and wh- how God was working in this nation. And so um, I've been looking forward to preaching this book for a long time. But um, it hit me uh, over the last few months that some of the most blessed times that I've had lately in my, my own um, time in the Word have not been in my own personal study. Um, they've actually been in, in conversation about the Word. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but back in the early church, not everybody had their own Bible. You didn't have like your own personal Bible that you took with you. Some of us have like 20 Bibles at home, you know. Um, you didn't have a, a way to really sit, you know, at your coffee table with your coffee and have your personal devotional time. That wasn't really a reality for most people. So you would go to the synagogues, especially in the Old Testament. You would go to the synagogues um, in the Old Testament and you would, you would read the scriptures as a, a group. And you would have a conversation about the word. Uh, somebody would read a, a something, and a lot of times people would have, have the ability to chime in or, or whatever it is. So I've really found um, in, in my walk with the Lord some of the most fruitful times studying God's word has been in a group. Where, where we can have a conversation about the word. Now, obviously, it'd be really hard and scary to have a conversation with everybody here. Um, that would just, yeah, that'd be really tough. Um, but what I thought I could do is I could kind of bring to you guys um, what it looks like when I sit down with a group and we say, how do we preach this book? Um, almost every Friday, I sit down with some of the guys um, from our church um, and, and we, we say, okay, if we were to preach this book, how would we do it? What would, we, what would the themes be of this book? What are the points of this book? And then I steal all their content and can preach it and look smart. It's awesome. It's like the best thing ever. Um, no, but, but we do that, and, and that's been such a blessing. I do a similar thing out, um, out at Trail Fellowship on Thursdays with, with Rick and a bunch of pastors in the area. We just sit down, and we open up a, a text, and we say, man, how would you preach this? And what are the points here? And what's the, what's the key? And those stinking times have been so ble- like such a blessing to me. Just like having the conversation with these guys has been so good. So I wanted to replicate that for you guys, hopefully, and, and allow you to just see what it can look like to sit down with some brothers and sisters and have a conversation about, um, in this case, an entire book. So um, I brought some heavy hitters. Will you guys come up here, um, and I'll kind of introduce you guys, tell a little bit about, about who we have coming up. These are all people in our church, okay? These are all, um, and I'll, th- the other reason I wanted to do this is I want you guys to see what a wealth of biblical wisdom and insight we have at our church that you guys don't even know about. <laughs> there are people in this church um, that, that have so much they could teach us and so much we could learn from, and, and most of them don't even know that, that they're even here. So um, I invited four good friends up um, from our church tonight to, to have this conversation. Um, I'll start with, with Eric. Um, Eric, how long have you been going here for? You got a microphone too, just so you know. You Since day one. It. We were in the park Since the first time we ever met. So Day one. So Eric and Mary, where's Mary at? 
they come as one. Okay, Eric and Mary, they're like the pillars to this church. Uh, Mary does so, don't shake your head, it's true. Um, <laughs> they do so much, um, so, so, so much. And um, Eric uh, is actually a seminary grad. No, I went there for a while. You didn't graduate? No. Oh, well, you got to get down. I'm sorry, you know? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, but you, you, you didn't get your... Uh, Oh, I got my information yeah. wrong. No, I spent, but you I, went there. I went for, you studied there. there. Did language study, which is okay. what I still you did, do. You did. You did study there. You do. Um, maybe just give, give us like a twenty second of what you do as far as missions, because um, a lot of these people probably don't know. Yeah, actually, in about three weeks, I'll be going to the country of Chad to be working on Bible translation. We'll have fifteen simultaneous languages. I'll sit back and watch. And, That's legit. You know, just just you know, country languages that they have to go and build and have to build an alphabet and actually learn it, teach it, translate it. Read it. Yeah. Yeah. Smart stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Eric's legit. He travels, travels all over the world. He goes down to Africa. He does all this crazy stuff on missions. He also he has his, uh, his bachelor's degree in sociology and master's degree in criminology. Got that one right. Uh, he was former chief of police. Just done a lot, a lot of life experience, but he loves God's word, and he loves Jesus, um, and he has a, a lot, I think, of insight that we could learn from this man. So, um, and that, that's Eric. Um, moving on, this is Mike Robinson. Uh, Mike uh, is one of our elders here at the church, um, but Mike also is a seminary grad from Western. He's a master of divinity, um, also is a business owner in town, um, and also is uh, the president of Pacific Bible College um, here in, in town as well, as well as a teacher at Pacific Bible College. So he, I don't know how he does all that stuff at once, but he finds time somehow. Um, so, yeah, Mike is a wealth of biblical knowledge and just a, a great, great guy. Um, Kathy, uh, everybody knows Kathy, I'm sure. Kathy is our women's ministry director, um, and she is, uh, can I call you a pastor of the women? Is that allowed? I don't know. Kathy is, she's, she is, whatever you want to say, she's the pastor to the women in this church. I mean, she just, um, uh, she just is, and, and, and she is such a wealth of wisdom and such a wealth of insight, and she has um, such a, an appetite for God's word. Um, so I really wanted Kathy up here too, just to, to bring insight into the scriptures as well. Um, and then Jeremy Neff. Okay. So anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you, bro. I'm just kidding. Oh, Jeremy. Uh, um, Jer- Jeremy is, is one of the pastors here. He does um, high school, all of our counseling, a lot of our teaching. And um, Jeremy is, is my pastor. Jeremy is the one that I literally go in his office every time I preach, and I say, here's my outline. Is it okay? Um, and we talk theology so much. And Jeremy, um, he, he planted a church in Cave Junction and was a lead pastor out there for a really long time. This guy has studied the word <laughs> so much, um, and he, he knows the scriptures um, to a point that I hope I can be at someday, and, and, and mostly just on his own studying. So, so these guys have a wealth of, of wisdom, and, and there's a reason I asked these four to come up. Um, and so I have a bunch of questions here. This is really, I'm, I'm going to ask them questions like I want to learn. <laughs> I'm just going to take in the answers, and you guys can kind of kind of listen and, and be part of it. Tonight, we're going to tackle the book of Jeremiah. So if you guys want, you can grab your Bibles, you can open up, you can sift through. I'm sure we'll be pointing out different scriptures and things along the way. Um, but yeah, we're going to just kind of let this thing go, go wherever it is. Everybody's got a microphone? Everybody's good? Okay, um, here's kind of how I want to attack this book. Uh, the first thing and the most important thing, as, as Jeff has, has taught you guys before, right, is context, 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 right? We have to understand, we have to know the context of the book of Jeremiah, um, especially the book of Jeremiah, okay? Because if you open this thing up, if you do a flop and stop on Jeremiah, you know, and, and, and you might find something really uh, depressing, 
okay? Uh, and you might have a really hard time with that. So we need to talk about, unpack, understand the context of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, obviously, it's an Old Testament book. So I want to talk about uh, a few different aspects, a few different dimensions of context first before we get into some of the meat of the book. Um, so I'm going to throw this, this out to you, uh, Mike, first, and then you guys can all ch- sort of chime in, and we'll let this thing go wherever it is. But let's start with the historical context of, of the book. Um, talk a little bit about where does Jeremiah fall um, in the bigger context of not only just Israel's history, but kind of what was going on in the world. Um, why is that significant, basically? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I think in, in the context of the Old Testament, um, the, the, the period of time that we talk about during Jeremiah, that he is a prophet, um, is probably the second or third most important historical piece in the Old Testament. Um, from a scriptural standpoint, what, what is the Bible? The Bible is God's revelation of his activity in human history, right? So it he focuses on certain periods of human history, and he certainly focuses on the history of Israel from his perspective. And so what is contained in Jeremiah, we have to understand, wouldn't necessarily be thought of as important from uh, a historian, but it's important to God, right? And so when we're looking at this, we have to look at it theologically. And we have already gone through, so, so from... Let's start with Abraham. You have the people of God being brought out of Egypt. So God created this nation. Since the beginning in in early in Genesis, there's this theme that God has. I will be their God and they will be my people. You can hear that resounding all the way through Genesis. And it really is heavily resounding in Jeremiah. That's been God's heart all along. And, and you can contextualize it in his redemptive plan. You can contextualize it in the kingdom of God. But it's been his focus from the beginning. And yet, everything he does continues to uh, fall on deaf ears, fall on hard hearts. And the people ter- continue to turn farther and farther away. So eventually, the kingdom breaks. We have the kingdoms of the north, the, the Israel uh, splits into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. This is now the southern kingdom because the northern kingdom has already been um, exiled. It's been split apart. So now the, the, you would think, you would hope um, that the people would recognize God really is in control of history, that God really is going to um, fulfill the curses. So if you go back to, uh, as the video mentioned, the end of Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, where Moses was saying, you do this, you will be blessed. You do this, you get cursed. Well, you read that. It's exactly what is Jeremiah was preaching. It's the curses. And he even gives it to them. Um, one, of the, one of the key things that I see in Jeremiah, and I see it in Revelation, we, we as a people, I think, and as a culture, we undervalue how hard our hearts are. We undervalue how blind and how deaf we are to God. And in, in Jeremiah, I don't think he's a prophet and a priest, so I don't know how much time we're going to have to get into that. But that's significant that he's got two offices. Um, but there's clearly God is working through Jer- Jeremiah and in, in both his activities and in his uh, prophecies. Everything Jeremiah says is true and happening, 
everything the other prophets, the false prophets, and are saying doesn't happen. And he's he is persecuted for that. He's attacked. He's he's punished. And yet, what does it do to the people? Does it turn them to God? It actually drives them farther and farther away. And if you read Revelation, it's the exact same thing. As God pours out his wrath, people harden their hearts. Even when they even attribute the punishment to God, they don't turn to God. They turn away from God. And that's what I, when you read Jeremiah, that's what you see. And it's, it sums it up in the new covenant. God finally tells everyone, okay, it's about your heart. It's your heart that's wrong, and I need to fix it. And I can get you out of the, out of the land. So I look at that as the kingdom. So in, in, in the Garden of Eden, it was kind of the initial kingdom where God is the ruler. People are his people in, uh, that he rules. They are his people. And the, the rain, the land, is the prepared land is where they live. And it's the same in Jeremiah's time. The promised land was the prepared place for God's people. And they got kicked out because, just like in the Garden of Eden, they weren't obedient. Well, God demands obedience, and they were disobedient, so they kicked him out. But, as, again, the video said, hope is offered. And now a, a firm solution is not only given but promised. Yeah. And, then, and it's, it's phenomenal when you think about the love of God that he just continues to chase us. I love that. I never actually thought about connecting the Garden and them being kicked out of the garden to the Babylonian exile. I never thought about that, but that's a really good point. That God says, hey, this is, this is the place for you to be, your place, but if you disobey me, of course, now in the new covenant, you know, that's, we're not going to get kicked out of heaven <laughs> because we're not in covenant with our, he's not in covenant with us anymore. He's in covenant with Christ. But that's a, that's a really cool, that's a cool insight. Um, you guys have any add-ons? Again, with historical context here, um, what's going on, bigger picture, um, the, the historical timeline. Any, any thoughts on that before we move on? Well, I think in, in um, when you look at the success of kings of Israel, you know, the, the nation of Israel, this is after the split su- northern and southern kingdom. And I, I think it's significant that even though the leadership keeps changing hands in Israel, the spiritual temperament of, uh, of Judah in particular um, is, is not is not changing. There's a, a duplicity that's happening where one half of the group is worshiping God in the temple and the other half is sacrificing their children just outside of those walls, outside of that valley. And there, there comes a point uh, where God just says, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm done, you know. And um, I've been gracious and I've been waiting and I've been patient and I've sent the prophets and again and again, my voice has been calling out. And you, you, all day long, I've stretched out my hands to a rebellious and stiff-necked people. And, um, and, and you won't listen. And so uh, now I'm going to have to act. And I think that that is uh, a big piece of that as well, is understanding that God is at his, his tipping point, where his patience, I wouldn't say has run out, but his, his patience, he, he's done using patience as a, tool for his people and now he's moving to discipline maybe one of you guys can speak a little bit to why is god so at his tipping point why is he at this point where he is like ready to literally ship exile uh, exile and ship israel out of their homeland i mean what has brought to this point 
you know, obviously we've covered a lot of this narrative narrative in this study, but for some of those that are maybe wondering, okay, why is, man, why has this happened? Why is God so upset at this point where he's like, man, I have to literally remove them from the homeland? I mean, what's been, what's going on historically in the context here? What's going on that that has God so upset, uh, and, and for lack of a better way to put it? Well, I think for me, something that I, <clears throat> I thought was interesting, and I could have the numbers uh, probably not quite right here, but as I understand it, it was probably, if you look at when, when um, uh, the Ten Commandments were given to the time that the, the, um, the Israelites were sent off into exile was about 900 years, somewhere around there. And so when I was thinking about that, because we, because we look at that judgment, it's like, gosh, you know, God's like, he's had it, you know. It has been, it is, when you look at that time frame of it, it had been 900 years pr- approximately that he had been patient with them. But as you said before, uh, uh, Jeremy, that they were, uh, you know, the, the duplicity, the, the, um, the double-mindedness and, the, and um, the mixture. God hates mixture, and we see it from Genesis through Revelation, and, and it continues. Like they were, they were um, uh, still going to the temple and offering sacrifices and, you know, and offerings to the Lord and then go out the door and, and do the same thing to their false idols. At the same time, and 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 it wasn't that God was just tired of it for this point of time. He had been, he had put up with it for all mm-hmm. those years. Yeah. For so his, his, to me, I was just like, yeah, God is long suffering with mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. and and very patient. And so that's that showed me his his goodness really mm-hmm. that had been that long. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at <clears throat> when the North was exiled. Was it like seventy or ninety years before that? Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> they very well should have been exiled then. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, Sennacherib was on the doorstep, ready to, to conquer Jerusalem, and only because Hezekiah prayed, only because Hezekiah yes. sought the Lord, and God was like, "Okay, I'll hold off," mm-hmm. you know. And then they would fall back into idolatry, and then another quote-unquote good king would come, and the Lord would hold off, and it was just kind of this this cycle of the Lord's like, "I'm gonna, I'm going to have to judge you," and then a, a king would come along, like Josiah or one of these sort of get rid of most of the idols, and God would kind of say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait, um, you know, but it was only, it was to the point where, where, where God knew they needed to be removed, and, and that's another question. Why did they need to be removed? Because that's a big piece. They need to be literally ripped out of their homeland. Why is that significant? Um, why not just, you know, I, mean, I don't know. That, that's just a question that I had. Any, any more thoughts on that? I, I think it's related to God's discipline uh, of Israel. He's like, okay, you keep running back to these idols, and you keep thinking that these things are going to be what satisfies you. Okay, I'm going to saturate you with you. I'm going to import you into the most idolatrous country that has ever existed. And you are going to soak in that and eat of it every day uh, of your existence for 70 years. And, um, and, and if you look historically, when, when the children of Israel, when, when they are brought back into the land... There were still battles with idolatry, but it was never the same from that point forward. There was, there was a work that was done in the heart of that nation where they're like, we don't ever want to go through that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was a part of uh, God giving them really over, uh, if, to quote Romans 1, to a depraved uh, heart and mind. You know? um, yeah. yeah. I kind of live on a different perch. It's been fun to listen because... I work all over the world, and I look at the church, the body of Christ, from so many places. And so I, I guess what I'm telling you that is I'm, 
sitting in the 21st century with binoculars looking back and going, you know, some things haven't changed. And I'd like to get to that later. I was waiting for a segue for that, but mm -hmm. it'll be a while down the road. And <laughs> it's just, just amazing to me that what we read here is the same stuff. You know, the difference is it's leading towards hope. And then, yeah. you know, we'll talk about that. Maybe yeah. we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, one thought I had, too, on the on why they needed to be removed uh, was uh, I think that in a lot of ways, their ultimate idolatry was their nation. They were very nationalistic in the sense like they're and you see that even when Christ comes back and they're like, hey, are you going to establish throne are you gonna are you gonna make Israel great again I mean they're this nationalistic it's all about Israel and Israel's power and Israel's greatness and God says okay well what if you're not a nation anymore <laughs> what if you just have to be my people as slaves in a foreign land then what you know mm -hmm. are you still gonna serve me are yeah. you still gonna be and I think that's a lot of times how God removes our idols is he, he says I need to take away that false identity before I can weed out and root out the deepest points mm -hmm. you know so uh, let's talk theological context. So uh, again, when you're studying a, a scripture, a book, a, a passage, a verse, it's super important to ask these questions. If you just jump in and say, hey, what does this mean to me? You're going to come up with wild stuff, um, and, and you're going to be out in left field. It's really important to ask the question, what was this book written into? What was the context it was written into? Um, not only historically, but <laughs> theologically. And what I mean by theologically is um, theology is the study of God. Okay, so looking at something in a theological context is to say, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell? So, so I would ask you guys kind of define for us what the theological context um, of the book of Jeremiah is. And some, some uh, kind of drill down questions on that would be, what do we learn about God's nature from the book of Jeremiah? Um, what do we learn about how God interacts with his covenant people? So let's speak to that a little bit so we can kind of build the context here before we get into application and things. Um, what, what do we learn about God from this book? It, clarity. When God speaks, it's cl with clarity. We don't have to sit there and go, what do you mean by that? You know, everything he says doesn't need to be rehashed. If we listen carefully and know what the word is, mm. he's speaking right to each of us. Mm. You know, listen carefully, and it's right there. Mm. Don't need to read a commentary to figure out what he said. He's speaking mm. to us. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, his message didn't really change <laughs> from Isaiah to Jeremiah. It's the same message, you know. Yeah, any other thoughts on that? I would say justice. I mean, there, there's a sense in which um, God says, no, my standard is the standard. And it won't change based upon the temperament of a culture. Um, it doesn't change if a nation votes against it. Um, it my standard is the standard by which you will be held to account. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think there's a real sense in which we learn that God keeps his word through that, that he, when he says something, it is righteous and true and trustworthy, and it is the standard by which we will give an account to God. Yeah. Hmm. Other thoughts, theological context? Well, my thought was just the same that I had mentioned before is God's long-suffering and his patience through a very, very rebellious people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it still carries out throughout the whole word. It carries yeah. out in my life and yeah. all of our lives. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the hardest things for me to do is to discipline my daughter. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. I'd rather just ignore it, wink my eye at, you know, just sit on the couch and let, let her disobey me. And, 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 but, but to get up and to do it sometimes is the hardest thing ever, you know, and I think it shows us that God is a good father. <laughs> that he's, he's a good enough dad to discipline his people. Um, but, you know, before he even did it, he told them when he was going to be done, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? He said, 70 years. Like, before I'm even going to discipline you, I'm going to tell you when it'll be over and how much medicine you have to drink. 
and when you're done, I'll restore you, you know, and he did, which is, is pretty cool. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I, just to kind of reiterate what you just said, I think there's a lot of comfort we can know that he is the God of history, that he really is controlling everything, not just his people, but other kings, other peoples, other times. Yeah. And I think for me, uh, sin has consequences. Um, when we sin, there is a, uh, an equitable amount of wrath. Um, so there's, there's multiple layers or there's multiple results of sin, and we don't have time to go into all that. But it's not uh, just that we have done wrong. Um, there is an increment of wrath that is created by a just God that it has to be dealt with. And he is going to pour that wrath out. That is part of who he is. And for me, I mean, we're going to get to the application, but I think that application is clear um, that that is what gets poured out. So what we read about it, the, the tremendous suffering that, that this prophet not only saw but wrote about um, is just a taste of what Jesus had to deal with and for us on the cross. And um, I forgot my last one. I had one more. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back. It'll come It'll back. It'll come back around. Hey, yeah. Just one more thought on Go that. ahead. Um, I, I was kind of reviewing some of the book uh, earlier today, and I, I, when I got to chapter 18, which is this story about God sending Jeremiah to the potter's house to watch how he throws pottery. And one of the verses that really stood out to me, he says, if at any time, verse 7 of chapter 18, if, for those of you who would like to look at it, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, in other words, he, he's claiming authority. He's like, if I want to destroy a nation, I can do that. And that's within my authority. That's within my power. And it's my right to do so. And he says, and if that nation, uh, which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do unto it. So it's really interesting that, that God allows humans to interact with his will in that way. That, and that there's a, a point at which he says, listen, I will deal with this, but I'm still hoping. I'm still just longing for you to turn. Mm -hmm. you know, there will come a moment where justice will be doled out. But in the back of my heart, in the back of my mind, is always this plea saying, if you'll just turn, if you'll just come to me, yeah. I'll hear that, you know, and I'll respond. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's interesting that's as well. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to move on from context, but I wanted to say one, just put a bow on it really quick. The reason that context is so important in a book like Jeremiah is because if you open up this book and you start reading about God's judgment on Israel and, and you don't read it within the context of the whole book and the whole Bible, you're going to feel very condemned. Um, but that judgment was a very specific judgment. Uh, John Piper talks about the refiner's fire. Uh, and how it's not a forest fire that just consumes and destroys everything. It's a, it's a fire like, like a furnace that, that turns something into a precious gold. It's a focused fire. And, and that's what really we're finding in Jeremiah is, is God's wrath here, or God's judgment, I should say, is, is really refining Israel in a loving way. And you have to know that when you read this book. Otherwise, you're going to come up with some crazy, some crazy things. Um, but moving on here now to, to kind of, um, I'm going to skip the theme because I think we already kind of hit that a little bit. I wanted to get into some of the interpretive challenges of this book, and there's plenty. <laughs> it's a tough book. Um, 
And here's, here's kind of the first one I'm gonna throw out to you guys. Um, how do we file the fact that God basically gave Jeremiah a task that he knew he wasn't gonna be able to accomplish? Um, in, in other words, hey, Jeremiah, here's your message. Go preach it. No one's gonna listen to you. <laughs> uh, that's why he was the weeping prophet. prophet. Um, Sub-question to that is, does that mean God will ask us to do things knowing that we'll fail? Well, we won't fail in his eyes if we follow his leading. And if the world says, you guys failed, you didn't carry through with what he told you, that's not real. You know, I think Jeremiah shines that in all the stuff going on around him, he said, I will stay faithful to my God, not depart from him. And that's pretty cool. And that example carries on, you know, right to now to today. You know, and if you play that, so when we get to that, if we get to that, is I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the church today is so affected by all these externals and people cater to those externals. Jeremiah set the standards and no, I stay faithful to the word and the leading of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It wasn't about the results as much as it was it's about not. the obedience. God will handle that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, I would just add to that. I think it. It's about what result, who's defining the result, right? Because again, from God's perspective, uh, Jeremiah did everything right. He was successful. Um, from human perspective, he was not successful. But it, you know, in the end, God protected him and God carried him and proved that he had done right. So will he ask us to do that stuff? Yeah, he will. Um, and it's for his kingdom. It's for his glory. It's not for ours. But we, we have to, so, so what he wants from us is obedience. And, and that's what he wanted from Jeremiah. And that's what Jeremiah epitomized, in my opinion. And that's the contrast in Jeremiah is the only guy that was obedient in, Jer- in Jeremiah, the book, was the prophet and priest of Jeremiah. Yeah. Everybody else was in disobedient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't you see that in Jesus, too? I, I mean, when he's teaching in the parables, he says, I say these things so that seeing they may not see hearing they may not hear now there's a sense in which like i'm going to tell you the truth and i know that you're not going to respond to it and i'm doing that so that when we bring this up again at judgment you know i told you right you know that we already talked about this and so um you're not sitting there with an excuse going well i never knew or i never understood that he's like i told it to you straight and um and and i knew that you weren't going to listen anyway the, the, the application I have to point out is just like, you got to tell them about the Lord, even if, even if they're going to throw it in your face, your coworkers, yeah. your family. I mean, yeah. it's not a matter of what the result is. It's a matter of obedience. God has called us to evangelism. God has called us to preach the gospel regardless of whether, and I've, I've done that before. I've literally told someone the gospel fully knowing <laughs> that I'm going to drive them crazy with, with telling them that. Um, I sat down with an atheist the other day and just flat out, I'm like, I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm not going to like it, but here it is, you know? And, and it's like, it, because in that moment, you become the hand of God, um, at least showing his mercy that he will tell the truth, even if they won't hear it. Yeah. He is a God that gives us the truth. That's why he sent Christ, you know, so that we could see the truth. Yeah. Yeah, if I follow up on second, yeah. second Corinthians, it's, it talks about us Mike. as being... Mike, Mike. I'm sorry. Mike, um, Mike. We were just sitting and talking. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about them. <laughs> we are the fragrance of Christ. We're the fragrance of gospel. And to some, it's the fragrance of life, and to some, the fragrance of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Moving on. Here's one. Uh, 
how do we file uh, Jeremiah 29, which you guys are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, but just to give you the context of that, basically God says, okay, you're exiled, um, but rather than press against Babylon as a nation, I actually want you to thrive in Babylon. I actually want you to bless Babylon. I want you to be fruitful. Uh, I want you to do things that are going to uh, actually make the nation increase. And, and, and I think a lot of people would have a hard time with that. So, I mean, Babylon was a pagan nation. Like, they worshipped anything and everything but Yahweh God, right? So how is it that God is telling, through Jeremiah, his people to go in and bless a pagan nation? I mean, does is that, is that mean that if our bosses or whoever's over us or we're subservient under, if they are crooked and corrupt, are we to bless them anyways? And, and I guess kind of speak to that a little bit. Um, is that wrong? You know, what are your guys' thoughts on that? How do we file that, that in Jeremiah? Bueller. Well, Bueller. <laughs> I, think, I think it's exactly what Christ calls us to do. I think, uh, you know, in Germany, and I've talked about this, but we are, as, a, as a, an American church, moving into exile. And, and Jeremy was reminding me this, this evening that, you know, in Europe, for instance, they've been in exile as a church for, for centuries, for, for generations. And so it's a very, very real context for us today. And we have to learn how to live that way as an American church. But we, at our root, it, it's our identity. We are God's people. We are God's sons and daughters. And, and these people were still his people. And, and he didn't want them to go hole up and hide and be uh, non-contributing. He's God. And they were still to reflect him, reflect his love, reflect his people, allow him to, to bless them and reveal himself through them. It's almost identical to what the gospel is, and, and it's almost identical. I mean, it is identical to what we're called to today. Uh, Jeff, right now, he, he sent us a, a, a Slack message, a, a text message to uh, all the staff that was just talking about uh, some of the stuff that he's doing right now. He's sitting down with pastors who are pastors in, in Europe, and, um, and the reality is that uh, the church has been dead in its influence culturally in that place for a very long time. And, they, and they're sharing with him, like, what is it like to minister in, in, um, as sort of exiles in a foreign land where uh, the dominant conversation is no longer uh, from a Christian foundation? Uh, those of you who are older in this room, you remember even 15, 20 years ago, um, you could mention names like Noah and Moses and Abraham, and virtually everybody knew who those people were. Um, but I can tell you uh, with absolute confidence that is not the way it is right now. And, uh, and I know it because I see it again and again in youth culture. Uh, there's a lot of young people that, that just do not have any awareness whatsoever of, uh, of a biblical context or or basic Bible knowledge. Uh, and I think we're headed that direction. I think we're headed into an exilic period uh, as an American church where we're going to have to learn how uh, to live unto the God's glory in, in a place that um, is unaware and doesn't see the value uh, in our faith. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that contrast 
is, is healthy. <laughs> like, look, read, read the book of Daniel, you know? I mean, like, here's these young Jewish boys that stood out like sore thumbs, you know? Um, and God, God wanted that, I think. Um, okay, we only have 10 minutes, so I'm, we're going to try to get to some application here, um, some, some helpful stuff. Okay, so here, here's just a real simple question. How do we get to Christ through Jeremiah? Okay, because obviously this, this is a book, you know, six... <laughs> roughly 600 years before Christ came, which is 2,600 years before us. Um, you know, what, how does that book really connect, connect the dots for us into the New Testament and the New Covenant? Um, where is Christ in Jeremiah? Um, I think it was Spurgeon that said he's, he's all through the Old Testament, right? Where is he in the book of Jeremiah? Let's get, let's get into that. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole host of ways. It's, like, hard to pick. Pick the best one. Uh, we only have man. 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, I, if I had to pick my number one, it would be the New Covenant. Uh, I, I think the resolution uh, for the dilemma that God is in, if you will, is how do I keep my people close to me? Like, how, how does that, how's this going to work if you're always just pushing against and running away from me? Your heart is broken. It's, it's ruined by sin in so many ways. And, and, um, and then he offers a solution. He, he tells us uh, through the promise of the new covenant that what God is going to do is write his commands on, on our heart. I, I think I like to put it uh, this way with, with young people. I always talk about the example of an anglerfish. You know, this anglerfish, which is like the little thing that lives way down in the very bottom of the ocean. It's got a little dingle ball hangs off, and it's like <laughs> lights up, you know. And they write look that, really gnarly. And, yeah. Dingle ball. And so, uh, you know, if, if I caught one of those fish, and I, it took the two hours to reel it to the surface, when, when it gets to the surface, um, it, its eyes are all popped out, and it's completely exploded. And, and the reason is it's used to living under such incredible pressure that when you pull it to the surface, the pressure is relieved and the pressure inside of the fish is greater than the pressure outside of the fish and it blows up, right? And, and God says, what I need to do is put a new pressure inside of you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to write my commands on your heart. I'm going to give you the desires so that the pressure of sin cannot confine the pressure of God um, trying to live through you. And I, and I just think that's such a powerful um, illustration of what God wants to do for his people, you know, and how he's calling them unto himself. That's cool. I want that, that question all the way across. Where's yeah. Christ? How do you get to Christ in, in Jeremiah? And then bring that even into some application for us. Like, you know, um, how, do we, how do we get to Jesus through Jeremiah? What do we say well, there? even what we talked about earlier about the wrath of God and that his wrath must be spent. It is. It's. It's. It, it has to be done, and and, um, and then and, and then you realize that that's what Jesus did. For he took that wrath because I I I deserve that wrath, but I can stand now before God righteous, you know, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, He did take that wrath upon Himself, and that. I mean, even as I was reading through Jeremiah, I was thinking about that throughout the whole thing is that this, all this judgment is what I deserve. And yet I don't, I don't, I'm not going to receive mm. that judgment because so of Christ. Yeah, yeah. really good. So uh, I would say literarily, um, one way you can outline Jeremiah is in a chiastic structure. 
So that's a literary framework that's used a lot in, in Hebrew literature. But um, basically, it, it forms a, a sideways V. So it, it goes like this. And if you go like this to the book and outline it, it comes right to the New Covenant. And in, uh, I'll just, can I read it? Yeah, just please, a, please. A second. So, I mean, this is, the, this is Christ. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And I'm going to skip through it a little bit. But um, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Amen. That's Jesus. Yeah. And contrasting that, too, with the fact that, like you said, Kathy, they were in this position of wrath and disobedience. And to, to say, Jeremiah could say in that moment, though, but one day, one day you won't be a rebellious people. You'll be a people with my law written on your hearts. You'll be a people that love me with the Holy Spirit in me. I mean, how, how cool is that really to think about? And I guess I'll, I'm, I'm much simpler in my thinking. I just see Jeremiah as that one person who stayed true and he wasn't swayed by all the things around him. You talked about the post-Christian era of Europe. My family all lives in Europe. So, you know, I know that and I've done some church planning there and there's still a church there and it's tiny. But the believers there can really shine simply by attitude. Sometimes it's nothing more than just they work harder than anybody else or whatever, or they have a greater kindness. But so Jeremiah is like a small version of that, I guess, one person. What is he doing? He maintains hope and he looks into the future, and the future is Christ. And, and you know, that, that hope is never diminished. You know, people who reject it need to hear it again and again. So for me, it's, it's a weird book in that it seems like such a negative. There's a bright light shining all through it. Yeah. In the form of Jeremiah, who goes, I obey my God, I serve my God, I will listen to my God. And sure enough, the promise is kept when we get to the New Testament. Yeah. The Messiah was promised, and it's been kept mm. as a promise. Yeah, I think we would all agree that usually in our darkest times is <laughs> when we see most clearly. We see Christ most clearly. When everything seems the most dire, everything seems to make sense in Christ. I think that's, that's really true. Um, one last question, um, and then we'll, we'll wrap it. What are some practical tools, practical tips for for us as we study the book of Jeremiah because, um, you know, uh, <laughs> can't always know all of the historical context and all of the theological context right out of the bat. I mean, what, how do you jump into a book like that and just be able to glean it? I mean, we don't need the Pope to translate it. How do we get in there? You know, we're, we're good <laughs> Protestant Christians, right? So what are some tools to read the book of Jeremiah and to be able to, to pull God's truth, the gospel, out of that? Any thoughts? I think one, you know, your um, your Bible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you pick a good study Bible uh, to begin with, it's going to give you just enough information. It's not going to be exhaustive. It's not going to be like you sat down with a bunch of commentaries, or whatever. But like the ESV, ESV study Bible has tremendous notes, and so being able to kind of track with the story, I, th I think application comes out of the history. So uh, when, when you're able to look at what is happening in the story and sort of get into um, the characters, if you will, what they're experiencing. I mean, you can do that with any one of the, the narrative passages of Jeremiah and, and realize what he's experiencing when, when the king takes his words and, uh, that he wrote down and then cuts them a strip at a time off and then throws them in the fire and his, his words, all of his labor is, is just wasted. 
And, and he's like, okay, well then let me write it for you again. <laughs> right? And you hear that story, you read that story, and then you're like, okay, so um, what was Jeremiah thinking? Right. What was happening in his heart? What prompted him to go back? Why did he revisit that when he already knew that the king didn't want to hear it? What's happening in the king's heart? Why doesn't he want to hear it? Why don't the people want to hear it? You, know, you start asking those kinds of questions of the text mm -hmm. itself, and pretty soon application just rises to the surface, and you go, oh, man, God, help me to hear your word. Help me to not reject it. Help me not to cut the Bible up and go, I don't like this part, but I, I do like that part. You know, I want to hear all of it, even if it makes me uncomfortable. Totally. You know, so. Yeah. I'll yeah. jump in there because that's, that's exactly what was on my mind. You know, Jeremiah was living fully for God, not snipping and cutting and pasting. There was so much junk going on all around him. You know, people using the name God, small g, and then yet he had the discernment and faithfulness to say, no, only what the truth is. And, and I'm reminded of that all the time, even now as our culture un, unravels. You know, people use the right words in the wrong context, and you've got to stick in the word and see if it's true and if it's in the context that it was written. You know, yeah. fancy words that don't pan out aren't God's word. Amen. Yeah. Good. Good, good. Um, these videos, by the way, thebibleproject.com, um, some guys up in Portland, and they're, they're fantastic. They're right at, like, they're like eight minutes, which is a millennial like an hour, I think it's like a millennial hour. It might even be two hours. <laughs> Sometimes I only get halfway through them. Um, there, there's one of those for every book of the Bible. There's those for themes, for all kinds of things. Those are fantastic. Um, I would say also um, read, read fast sometimes and just try to get through a lot without stopping and scratching your head. Sometimes you need to do that. Uh, sometimes if you're like, I need to know what that verse means, and then you get stuck on it, grab like the New Living Translation or something and try to just read through the book. And you may not get everything, but get the big picture first and then zoom smaller. I think if you get the big picture first, then the littler things will make more sense. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend that um, as well. Any other tools, thoughts, yeah, helpful things? As far as reading quickly, the YouVersion um, yeah. Bible app has an audio component where you can turn on the audio and you can set the speed on it as well. And, you know, the beauty of that is that if you're like me and you kind of space off, you can go... Um, you know, oh, I, I now I want to stop and think about that verse. And then I end up rereading a passage like 45 times or whatever. But when I, the, the meter is set for me and I'm following along in my Bible, I can cover a whole book in, in an hour's time without any difficulty whatsoever. Uh, and I think, I feel like I retain more too when I yeah. hear it me too. being spoken and, I, and I'm reading it at the same time. I did that, Jeremiah, one and a half times regular speed. Works great. <laughs> I couldn't. If you're a millennial, really. you can do twice. You can do two times fast. <laughs> yep. I got through the book in like two hours. It was crazy. I didn't hear any of it, but I read it, you know. <laughs> so. I, I'm with Jeremy. I mean, I have to look at it and hear it. And it yeah, works really it does well. work. So cool. Great. Um, also, Pacific Bible College is an amazing resource in town. You can take a night class. You can take an Old Testament survey. I'm taking New Testament survey right now. It's a fantastic class. Um, and Mike teaches there. So, yeah, that's a killer resource. Um, and come on Wednesday nights. <laughs> Old Testament survey. <laughs> Shameless plug. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> uh, Eric, do you want to pray for us and close us out? And then we'll sure. say sayonara. Sure. Father, thank you that you've given us your word, the living word, Lord you've just written out really our history before it's even occurred in its finality in, in a sense of our own mortal lives. But Lord, we know that you are alive. You're the creator, the protector, the redeemer, the king. 
I pray we'd seek you, serve you, trust you, and rejoice in you, and share you, and live for you in all that we do. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for faithful disciples who follow you. I pray that we would be among those, Lord, speaking your truth and love, not being waylaid, not being fooled, but just being faithful as you are faithful to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Give it up for these guys real quick, would you? All right. All right. Lord bless you guys. Have a good night.